y'all. This is Haley Crusher Kane, and I have no idea what episode this is of Sparkle and Destroy podcast, but we are here. We are alive. We're doing it. Right now, I think we can all relate to the feeling of what day is it? What month is it? What is life? What matters? Who am I? Where am I going? Where is the world going? There's been a lot going on in the world, and I feel like With social media, a lot of us are expected to have a knee-jerk, perfectly correct response to everything that's going on because we can with social media. However, I don't think that's really where personally, you know, my greatest uh, insights come from. I feel like I need to process a lot of my feelings and process what what is actually happening. So I did take a quick break from the podcast, not for any particular reason, then I just needed to like think about the world, think about what's going on. And this is my podcast about all the big things happening in the world in 2020. Now, I wasn't even planning on doing a podcast like this because I'm kind of sick of, you know, every single person on the internet from the random, you know, businesses that send me spam email to, you know, someone who I, I follow on Instagram that does cool makeup tutorials to whoever, you know, giving me all this information all the time and telling me exactly where they stand. And it's like really great because obviously we all want to stand up against injustice in the world, but at the same time as human beings, we are not capable of taking in that much information at once. Um, It's just not something we have evolved to do. So it's like having all that noise coming at you 24-7 is really exhausting. And um, I just really wanted to like take a pause, take a beat, and... Today, I've just felt like a lot of my feelings about the world have solidified. So I'm going to share them with you with the hopes that they either, you know, help kind of dislodge any kind of issues you might be having, um, or perhaps it's just, you know, you're getting a perspective that you didn't have before. Because with social media, we're all kind of in this echo chamber where we're all hearing each other's opinions. I know that I have the very same opinions being echoed back at me constantly on social media. And so it's actually good to have differing opinions and for people to hear, you know, opinions that are different than their own. So if that's how you feel about my opinions, cool. Um, So first of all, Black Lives Matter, systemic racism exists, you know, full stop that exists in the world. However, I feel like for my generation, um, or just my experience in general, I was raised with this idea that we lived in a post-racial world. Um, Not just, you know, in a worldview way, but in my own family. My um, half-sister, Chakra, is half-black. We have the same father and different mothers, and her mother is of uh, a woman of color. And so I find it really strange now, thinking back, that really, um, my family (laughs) never talked about it. We never talked about race and it's only come out now later in life that she's told me that, you know, us not talking about it, you know, it wasn't celebrated and it wasn't maligned. It was, it was just ignored, you know, it just wasn't talked about that. It made her feel very alone and othered because she kind of like was like, okay, well, here's my sister with, you know, white skin and blonde hair and here's me. And um, I, I actually, didn't think about it. And I think part of why I didn't think about it is the culture. Um, you know, I grew up in the the era of dare, you know, dare against drugs, just don't do drugs. 
you know, abstinence, just don't have any sex. And the other thing was that we live in this post-racial world where everybody is equal, everyone works together. I remember one of the first cartoons that I, you know, really fell in love with was Captain Planet. And Captain Planet was saving the world through recycling. And he was saving the ozone layer. And he had his friends. And one was Asian, one was Black, one was Latino. Um, I remember all the standardized testing that we did, which was very much of the 90s um, and and. I guess it continued on. God, I, I don't know where we are with standardized testing now, but it was a nightmare. Um, it was always an Asian girl, a Latino guy. There was someone in a wheelchair. There was always a person of color. And it always felt like that what this was trying to tell us subliminally was that, that racism was a thing that happened in the past in the sixties and that, um, everything was fine now and that sexism didn't exist and racism didn't exist. And if you even saw color, you were, that was a a big no, no, you weren't supposed to actually say anything. Like I think the movies of the time also exemplified the racial, um, the way that the, the, the very misguided, but kind of optimistic way that we wanted to see ourselves as Americans and to absolve ourselves of white guilt. It was like in every movie of like every thrasher movie or slasher movie, um, in the nineties, like scream or whatever, it was always like the black person dies first, you know? And yet nobody ever talked about that until much later. Um, it was always like the black person was the token person and the, and it was never, the, the black person was never like really the main character in the book or the movie, right? They were always like off to the side to just, you know, show that we lived in this very harmonious world. But, and yet, you know, that was not the reality. And I have to say, I speak from a different perspective. I did not live in an inner city situation. I did not go um, into that world until I was about 16. And I started going to backyard shows and like, you know, Compton, Southgate, Wilmington, and seeing the disparity and the unrest in those communities. I wasn't living in a gated community or anything like that, but I certainly didn't see um, police brutality happening every day on my street. So um, where was I? So anyways, I feel like a lot of millennials now are waking up to the fact, white millennials, that that was a lie. I think we all kind of suspected it was a lie. Um, We knew it was a lie. But in some weird part of our being, we thought this absolved us, uh, you know, because we we always felt, you know, our our parents were like, everyone gets a, a, a trophy and everyone's equal and everything's good. And like that, I get where that was coming from as like the hippies were trying to salvage something from their very fucked up generation that kind of went sideways and they were trying like the hippies became yuppies but they were like still trying to be like well at least our our kids won't be racist sexist assholes but you know what we all turned out to be pretty much sexist or racist assholes we just did it in a a way that uh, was not overt so instead of you know being you know as racist or, or or shitty as like the previous generation perhaps you know we just didn't have as many friends of color we didn't you know hire them on our on our companies or have them on our board of directors or whatever um so i think that that is a huge issue um and i've seen it kind of come out in my family and in my own experience now that to not talk about these issues is really just not okay. It's just not, it's it's not going to happen anymore. We all need to have these tough discussions about police brutality, about black people being killed by police. It's not just a black problem. It's everyone's problem. And I find it interesting that, 
my parents moved um, us from um, the LA area up to rural central coast of California. And, and, and I remember my mom telling me much later in life that it was part of it was the Rodney King riots that happened not too far away from the um, condominium complex that we grew up in. And it wasn't like they just left immediately. It was like it took several years to, to get the money together to move. But that that was a factor. And yet that was never talked about in our schools. It wasn't talked about like, you know, in it just wasn't talked about. So perhaps this is not a very um, enlightening perspective, but maybe it is. I mean, maybe it kind of shows a little bit of the naivete of the millennials just kind of thinking like, things are fine. Like, I'm not actively racist, so it's cool. And I think we're all grappling now with like what it means to take on a bigger responsibility and role in um, trying to shut down racism and trying to change policies and trying to be more engaged in like what's going on with laws and what's going on with the police. However, you know, anything surrounding that that is not actually helping people, like concrete helping, like education, um, donating money, um, contacting um, political offices, lobbyists, um, anything that's not a concrete thing, going to protest, like that's all just performative and not necessary. And um, I, I really want people to know that, like, because I felt like, wow, everybody's telling me how to be. Everyone's telling me how to be a good person. Everyone's telling me how to do this. But we're all unique individuals. We all have our own gifts. And every single one of us can bring something to the Black Lives Matter movement, whether it's as small as just reading more Black authors, which is like a total no-brainer. But like, hey, that's something I can totally do that I wasn't doing before. Great. Read more Black authors. Um to donating, to protesting, to writing letters to your Congress people, whatever it is, that is cool. Do your thing. And you do not need to police other people and tell them how to be and virtue signal how, um, you know, perfect you are. Because, hey, we all have something in our past that we're ashamed of, embarrassed of. We've all had to grow as people. We've all had, you know, misguided beliefs that have evolved and changed. And, I think that a lot of the virtue signaling is really unhelpful and it's just making it about white people at a time when this needs to be about black people. So let's just try to like, again, it sounds like I'm telling you how to be and I'm not. I'm actually trying to basically open this up and just say whatever you can do, you should do. Um, you have permission to. You can do it wrong and you can mess up and try to do it right again. It's okay. We're all human. We all generally want our fellow humans to be safe and be, to be happy and to, you know, not have to worry about like random police just like shooting random teenagers that are just wearing hoodies. Um, I'm not going to go too much into all those instances because we all know we all know at this point, you know, what the situations are and how ridiculous they are and how unacceptable they are. So that's how I feel about Black Lives Matter. Just do what you do. Just do what you do. Be yourself and fucking don't do drugs. <laughs> I sound like the dare officer. Um, when it comes to a lot of the allegations that are coming to light with a lot of Los Angeles um, rock bands, punk bands, independent bands in LA, I'm not surprised by them. And I do think that it's good that we are rooting out 
predators and, um, you know, older men that are in the scene. And by the way, have always been at the periphery of many, many, many music scenes that are, you know, really abusing their positions and, you know, just, just being creeps, you know, they're being creeps basically. And I'm glad that we're removing those people. That's a wonderful thing. However, Burger Records response to, um, all these sexual allegations that have come to light, um, sexual assault allegations, which I'll just let you Google that. I don't need to go into all that. Um, if you're interested in it, go Google Burger Records sexual assault allegations and you'll see it. The thing that really bothers me about their response is that, A, you know, they want to create a subsidiary label for just women. And I feel like that's really part of the problem. Like women need to be empowered and be in leadership roles and be um, vocal and have agency, you know, that we're not here for you to save us. It feels very infantilizing. It feels like you're treating us like a baby. Not to mention, I don't believe really that you know, safe spaces exist or should exist. And they're talking about creating safe spaces at all their shows. I mean, who knows what that even means, but I feel like punk shows first and foremost should be free with freedom of expression and that, um, safety is not something that can necessarily be controlled. That's why we have bouncers that can physically remove creeps, predators, and weirdos from shows that are preying on 15 year old girls. That's great. Kick them out of the clubhouse. However, creating a dreamlike safe space where everything is completely bubble wrapped and is spoon fed to you. That is not, first of all, it would not be good for, for art or music or the world. Second of all, it cannot exist and probably should not exist. Um, feeling unsafe is not going to kill you. In fact, I think feeling unsafe has built my character up quite considerably and, um, being in real physical, emotional danger when I, when I was in real danger, not feeling unsafe when I was unsafe, I'll tell you that I I knew it. Okay. I knew it and I either made good decisions or bad decisions. Um, not to say that some of these guys didn't, you know, basically drug or date rape these girls. They certainly did. And that's absolutely unacceptable. Let's root those people out, but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's not neuter the entire punk world. Um, let's get rid of the weirdos. Let's get rid of the people that are creeps, the people that are, you know, preying on young girls, but let's keep punk rock free, free for freedom of expression. Um, let's not, um, decide that everyone needs to feel safe because that's a very, that's a very muddy target. It's a very moving target that doesn't really make sense because people, especially these days can be triggered by anything. I was just talking to my friend the other day about, I was like, fuck when I was 16 in the punk scene in LA, I mean, I remember making out with a guy backstage at the knitting factory. He was like 30 years old. And then like, I basically like I was into it. I mean, I was drunk. Maybe I was like, was I coerced? I don't know. And I remember like going through like the backstage door to like the alley and like my dad picking me up and like how weird that was and thinking like, huh, that was weird, you know? And I remember like the, there was like this one cool guy with a mohawk at this one punk store. My friends and all went and all we all went to in Redondo beach when we were like 16, 17. And he was like in his probably mid twenties by then. And like, I, I just discovered a journal the other day from that era And I'm like, oh yeah, he totally offered us cocaine. And like this, you know, older twenties dude was giving minors cocaine. So I'm not saying like, oh my gosh, I survived. So these snowflakes need to like calm down. I am not saying that. I'm just saying like, when I think back to that, 
I'm not triggered by it necessarily, but I do know that I learned a lot of lessons um, by, you know, pressing on the outer boundaries of, you know, my world as a teenager. And I think we're not talking about the fact that teens in general are not necessarily looking for a safe space. They're looking for a bit of danger, a bit of excitement. And we need to walk that line between removing the predators, but also allowing people to make their own mistakes, to gain knowledge, to gain character, to, um, stand up for themselves to have the agency to know that they can use their critical thinking skills, that they don't have to be in this like bubble wrapped box to live their lives, that they can make decisions and and perhaps even be part of leadership roles in venues, labels, bands. Like the more women you have in those roles, I guarantee you the less of this kind of cancer is going to take root. I mean, not that you asked for my opinion or anything, but here it is. All right, COVID-19. Let's talk about that. So I think in some previous podcasts, I was a little bit more chill about it. I was obviously, I mean, I took it seriously, but I wasn't, you know, feeling as serious as I am about it now. And, you know, half a year has gone by and I'm grappling with the fact that I'm probably devastated by it. And, um, I think I spent the first part of quarantine overproducing, overworking, over planning, over projecting, over everything. Okay. Just so I could get away from my feelings. And then I went through this weird thing of like COVID rebellion in the middle of the, of the COVID thing where I was like, I'm going to go to LA and see three of my best girlfriends. And I did go down to LA. I did wear a mask and we did stay mostly in those people's respective houses or apartments. I didn't actually go anywhere with the exception of riding one of those awesome swan boat things in Echo Park Lake, which was actually really fun. And I may have um, microdosed on mushrooms with that situation. (laughs) Um, That, I mean, yeah, so I did that. And then I came back and I felt really refreshed because, you know, I'd been stuck in the house with my amazing husband for quite a while. And I immediately felt super guilty because I have a very small pod here of just a small amount of people. And I realized like, wow, that was really not cool. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, This was before the second wave really hit. And California has kind of gone back into a retreating mode where we're kind of like in a soft version of lockdown right now. Um, This was like when things were starting to open up a little bit more, but still it's like not cool that I did that. And so I think a lot of us have that feeling of like, am I doing COVID right? Like, am I doing COVID correctly? Like, I think we're all kind of doing it wrong. I think we're all like trying to do better and that's good enough. And like, obviously my decision to, to travel and to see friends was not the best decision, but it's not the worst thing I've ever done either. Um, Our drummer, uh, Ben has COVID and he's recovering right now. And that happened after I got back and it made me kind of realize like, okay, this is not a joke. This is not, not that I wasn't taking it seriously before, but I think we're all susceptible to just kind of freaking out because this is something that our, you know, species has never experienced. Like, I mean, there have been really crazy things that happened in the world, like world wars. There's been a lot of, you know, mass hysteria and a lot of huge things that we as humans have dealt with, but a pandemic on a global level is really a slippery thing. It's a totally new thing. It's this like insidious thing that's in the air. We can't trust each other. We can't trust ourselves. 
we can't do any of the things that like release us and like make us feel good, like go to punk shows, go to unsafe space, punk shows, uh, play shows, uh, travel tour, you know, all the things that, uh, Reed and I really worked hard to build in our lives. And like, you know, the last couple weeks, like I've been taking off all the little notes around my house that are for Airbnb guests that are like, please don't flush your tampons and quiet times between this and that time. And I've been, I've been getting rid of them because I know that we're not going to rent our house out again. Um, we rented out our main house and the, the back house, the Airbnb, double Airbnb so that we could afford to go on tour and like, we got rid of our chickens. Reed sold his comic book shop. Like we just scrimped and did everything. I mean, we never, we didn't spend money on anything for like the past few years. All we spent money on is records and touring. That's it. Like it's our life. And the fact that that is not going to be viable, it's not going to happen. We're not going to be, you know, we're supposed to be in Europe right now. That's, it sounds really dumb to say that because, Hey, we could be dead, but that kind of stuff, I think we all are struggling with it in our own way. And I think I just overproduced, over overworked so I could run away from it. Then I was rebelling against it. And now I'm in this period of like, oh shit, this could go on for a lot longer. We need to be even more vigilant. And I found little ways that I can kind of like release, you know, the part of me that needs to like, you know, just breathe, um, you know, in my own house. And that's like gardening and like the stuff everyone's doing, like cooking, gardening, you know, working on creative projects, going for walks, hiking. We're lucky that our beaches here are not too crowded. Like Reed has a very special surf spot that's really pretty secret. And when we go down there, there's like two surfers in the water and there's no one on the beach because it's a pretty rocky beach. And so we're like pretty lucky that we have that. We're lucky we have each other, but I do, I do, you know, my heart goes out to the people that I really feel like, they're just sitting in their own bath water and they just can't wait to pull the plug. And I get that feeling. I know what it's like. We're all feeling it and it doesn't matter, you know, how many things you're grateful for. Like it's hard. Like we're in a global pandemic. On top of that, we're having a lot of uh, huge, you know, world consciousness shifts that are like mega growing pains. We're all questioning our own like beliefs. We're all finally we have the no distractions from ourselves are both our flaws and our potentials. So for the people that hadn't been thinking about this stuff thoughtfully in the past couple of years, and it's hitting them hard now, like I have to have compassion for those people because I imagine that they have really not prepared themselves for the amount of self-reflection and just being with yourself and being in the moment that is happening right now. Cause I, I have definitely tried to work on that the last couple of years and I'm struggling really hard with it. So for the people that have just been like, I don't know, putting off that vacation for 10 years because they've been like working really hard as a lawyer, I feel really bad for them because now they're just like, fuck, like I waited all this time so that I could, you know, have this great experience and great vacation. I, I really put off spending time with my family and like, now it's just like, you know, we're in a pandemic and a lot of those options are, are not available, including spending time with family, you know, unless they're in your pod. So, you know, this has been just a really hard time for everybody and rest assured you guys, the songs that we've been creating this year, we have a lot of them 
that we've been writing during quarantine, they're, they're, they're a lot darker. We were, we were going over the demos the other day, which sucks you guys, because we had a studio session booked to have some real demos done with the real drums. Cause we usually just do like garage band demos and then we go and record it for the album. But this time we were, we were thinking, let's just do some kick-ass demos at a real studio. And then we can actually, you know, dissect the songs, make them even better. Like, let's try to really put our back into it and then we'll go and cut a new record. And that's canceled because obviously our drummer has COVID. Um, but yeah, these songs were like, we're like, oh my God, we need to write a couple more fun punk songs. These are all really sad and dark. Um, but that, you know, that is life. And, you know, I'm, I'm grateful we have two albums out right now. One, one is just a two song, seven inch, a Jacaranda, which came out on June 2nd. And the other is Vintage Millennial, which came out in January. And the fact that, hey, we had that come out in 2020. We haven't been able to tour on either of these releases. We won't be able to tour on these releases. Um, but I've seen the support. I've seen the orders coming in. We made this cute little zine. It's got some really interesting stories in it. One of them is about my ride, my legendary ride with Angeline and um, the puking, the puking that happened on that ride. And I have another story that kind of talks about this whole, you know, unnesting and like when Reed and I were really trying to mold our lives into something that was would sustain like a nomadic basically existence and how that, how that is and how that works. And so that, that that's available. That's free. If you guys want to pick up the Jacaranda seven inch, um, it's a happy, it's a happy seven inch, happy colors, happy songs, get that free zine and the money goes straight to us and our band camp. This is the first time that we have, um, started selling these ourselves. So if you haven't purchased one from Rita Records or Surf and Kai Records or Mom's Basement Records, you can get it from us on our band camp at Haley and the Crushers band camp. Um, and yeah, I'm just going to keep uh, keep chugging along. We'll do some more podcasts coming up, but I just felt like I wanted to get on here and just tell you guys that we're all human. We're all making mistakes. We're all trying. I'm with you, if you are feeling, you know, just really fatigued, I, I hear you. I see you. I feel super fatigued too. And, you know, growing pains just really hurt, but that's what growing pains are. And it's like, I just remember back to being a kid and like my legs hurting because I was growing and my bones hurting and feeling that sense of like growth through pain. And, you know, it's not like, it's not unlike, you know, doing push-ups. Not that I've ever done a push-up or a pull-up. I was all about the flex arm hang in PE, but we're all building these muscles and like, we got this. We got this. Okay. Sparkle out. Bye-bye. <laughs>